Thanks, Garth. Interesting to uh, to read that passage, especially the first part of it, straight after a, a story about um, apartheid and uh, you know the instructions to be obedient to uh, to government, um, being read and, and heard in a, a South Africa, for instance, of the past. I wonder how it was uh, how it was treated. So we'll have a look at that, or at least in passing, and then I'll I'll run. Continuing on the, the series in Romans, the uh, chapter 13. Uh, all chapters need to be read in context. The uh, context of chapter 13 starts with what we read in chapter 12 and what we looked at last week in chapter 12 of Romans. And we saw there in the, uh, the first verse of chapter 12 uh, that Paul says, uh, Therefore, in view of God's mercy... I urge you. And he went on and talked about how we should live. In view of God's mercy, uh, the uh, incredible story that you just shared about the lady forgiving and the man uh, just before he was murdered, forgiving, and, uh, and then his wife later on forgiving and, uh, and, and the reconciliation, you know, one of the great stories that came out of that commission. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful example of living life in view of God's mercy. The, uh, the, the motivation and the courage and the strength and the ability, the enablement uh, to, uh, to be able to forgive in a time like that, in my thinking, could only be uh, brought about because of uh, somebody living in view of God's mercy. God has been so merciful to me. God has been so forgiving to me that I can't live in any other sort of way. And that's the sort of thinking that Paul is calling us to in verse 1 of chapter 12. So in view of God's mercy, this is how you should live. And, and last week we saw that uh, applied to such things as being an individual in community. Uh, the responsibilities that we have towards ourselves and the way we think about ourselves and the way that we, uh, we act as individuals in community and our responsibility towards others. So that's what we learned in chapter 12 and that needs to be kept in mind because that's really his introductory comments to the application of that teaching of God's mercy, you as an individual having responsibilities in community. Now let's see how it's applied. And he applies it to a few things in chapter 12 which we looked at uh, last week. Now in chapter 13 he applies it again to, uh, to two major areas. Uh, the first, uh, living under government rule, uh, living under a certain political rule and secondly uh, to the responsibility to uh, recognise that we'll never repay the debt of love. Those are the two things that he looks at. But before I get into those and just give a brief uh, application of those, uh, the context actually continues. It's not only the context of Romans 12, but the context of those last few verses in chapter 13 that I think are important here. Verses 11 to 14. He, uh, he's saying that uh, to live in this sort of way, to live as God's people in community, under government rule, always recognising that my indebtedness is to love, I need to understand the present time. That's what he says in verse 11 
and he continues on through to verse 14. We need to be in our culture. We need to be understanding our culture so that we know how to apply the teachings of Scripture. You see in verse 11 he says, And do this understanding the present time. Understanding the present time. Know what's going on in your culture. Understand it so that you know how to apply the teachings of Scripture. It reminds me of uh, the men of Issachar. Remember in the Old Testament the men of Issachar knew their times and therefore knew what Israel should do. And I think all of us are called to be people of Issachar, uh, people who understand what's going on. Uh, Now he goes on here and he basically talks about how the end is near. Uh, Jesus is coming back. And we need to, uh, he's saying to them, live in the light of of, of this fact that, uh, that Jesus is coming back. But the knowledge that Jesus is coming, and as far as they were concerned, it was soon, and I'm sure they were hoping very much uh, that it was soon, uh, that's not a call to sit around idly, uh, to sit around being removed from that culture that we're seeking to understand, but instead to be involved in it. So he's saying the end is near so, so don't sit around idly and, 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 uh, and, and wait for it but be actively living lives uh, that reflect well the teachings of Scripture. And that's Paul's teaching in, uh, in First and Second Thessalonians too as he's talking it seems to a people who were, were not living very well uh, in the light of the second coming of Jesus. Uh, they were removing themselves from responsibility and so forth. And in First and Second Thessalonians he says, look, the Lord is coming, uh, but that's not an excuse uh, to be removed uh, from, uh, from being good citizens in the world around us. And so this is Paul's theme here as well. He says, in the light of the second coming of Christ... Uh, Make sure that you live as the people of God should live in understanding this present time. Live in the world and be involved in the world as the people of God. How do we do that? How do you do that? Well, in verses 11 to 14, he gives us some examples and some of them are negative examples, things that we've got to put aside. In other words, as the people of God uh, living under, under the Roman government and living with the debt of love always to pay, this is how you should live. He says, put aside the deeds of darkness. Now, deeds of darkness, the connotation there is that these are the things that people do in the dark because they don't want to be known about it. They try to keep it hidden. They don't want it coming out in the open. And that's the idea of the deeds of darkness. And and he says, um, uh, put aside the deeds of darkness, and he mentions a few such as orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, dissension and jealousy. That's how it's translated in uh, in the NIV. Those are the things. Now why did he pick on those sins? Why didn't he mention a whole host of other things? Well, as I went through each one of these, I I, I realised that these ones are prime examples of living selfishly, living for my pleasure, making you an object that will satisfy my desires. Each one of these are very anti-community. They're very self-centred, an obsession with myself and my desires and my pleasures and this is what I want so you become an object in my mind who will satisfy what I want. I don't care about you. I don't care about your needs and your desires. 
and your pleasures. I just care about me and I want my needs met and I will use you to make sure that that happens. So uh, this is, I, I believe, one of the reasons why he would pick on these types of sins because they're so anti-community. They're very much against what he's done in Romans 12 of painting this picture of how important it is for you to live as an individual responsibly in community and to be mindful of others' needs and to be giving of ourselves to others. That's what he's saying our responsibility as God's people is within community and these things go very much against it. Working against the teaching of being an individual in community because all of them destroy relationships. They're the antithesis of love. Orgies. Orgies, the, the, the word that's translated orgies is more akin uh, to drunken revelling and to drunken rioting uh, than it is to the type of sexual orgies that we may hear about today and think of uh, when, we, uh, when we read that word. It's more akin to uh, uh, some of the problems on uh, Melbourne streets, Queen Street outside, some of the, uh, the, the, the bigger pubs on a, a Friday and, and Saturday night or well into the early hours of the morning of the drunken rioting and the revelling uh, that the Herald Sun loves to put on their front pages. That's the sort of thing that uh, we have in mind uh, when reading the word orgies in this context. It's a drunken riot, if you like. And a drunken riot, and those who are involved in it couldn't care less about other people, couldn't care less about their, their needs of sleep or their needs of safety and security, couldn't care less. It's totally self-indulgent, orgies. Uh, he mentions drunkenness. Well, that's basically the same as the above, isn't it? certainly goes against the sober-mindedness that he calls us to in Romans 12 when considering ourselves. Remember he said, uh, judge yourself with sober-mindedness. Be sober in your judgment. Well, drunkenness goes against that and, and uh, he speaks about that in various places. Sexual immorality. Uh, the word in this context uh, probably refers mostly to adultery, the sexual immorality that is expressed in adultery and the unfaithfulness uh, of, of, of betraying somebody else and having sex outside of marriage when, um, when you're married to somebody else. And, and that all of us understand that as being a strongly destructive force uh, within marriage partnerships and, and has negative effects across a number of primary relationships. Sexual immorality. Debauchery. Debauchery is a word that could be translated shameless, unbridled lust. Shameless. I don't, I don't care about it. I'm not shamed by this. Unbridled, it has no restrictions. Lust. And not something that you want to have other people involved in uh, who are in your vicinity, <laughs> who are in relationship with you. Shameless, unbridled lust. Just the thought of it sends chills up a decent community. And when we think uh, that we see it, we cry out loud and long against it. Our papers are filled with it, aren't they? Now, these are the things that our papers love exposing about our politicians, for instance, or other people in, in leadership, this sort of thing. It's absolutely self-obsessed and it's very much against community. Dissension. Dissension is general and long-lasting conflict within relationships. Uh, we've, uh, we've heard and we've seen in our papers, heard on, on radio and so forth over the last couple of days, the dissension that now exists between uh, Peter Costello and Michael Kroger. 
It's that sort of dissension, that sort of, of uh, relational conflict uh, that, uh, that this is talking about and that's not good for the community. It's certainly not good for their relationship but it's not good for the rest of us either, this sort of stuff. It's terrible. And then jealousy. The word that's translated jealousy literally means an envious and contentious rivalry. So it's not just being jealous of somebody else having a nicer car than you or something like that. It's that rivalry within community and that will destroy relationships and destroy uh, community. And so these are the things that Paul lists. This is the context that he says uh, with our responsibility as God's people in community, this is the stuff that will get in the way. This is the stuff that you mustn't become involved in. So we see that looking ahead to life in the next world, Jesus is coming again, the end is near. Looking ahead to life in the next world doesn't mean that we are to live irresponsibly now in this world. But it does call us to live responsibly within this world's communities to be people of peace and love. And so it's in this context that he applies these truths in chapter 12 that he's already dealt with, the responsibility to ourselves as individuals and to live responsibly and wise as individuals within community and now in chapter 13 he takes this and he applies it broadly uh, to life under the rule of government and the application of love to all relationships. So let's have a look at those two just pretty quickly. The fact that we belong to another kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, uh, the community of God's people, the fact that we belong to another kingdom does not mean that we are exempt from the responsibilities of living our everyday lives responsibly within this kingdom of earth. What are the consequences of such a call to God's people? In verse 1 he talks about submission. In verse 3 he talks about obedience, doing what is right. In verse 6 he talks about the payment of taxes and in verse 7 he talks about respect and honour. That's pretty heavy calling, it's pretty high calling, it's pretty challenging calling, especially in some contexts. I think it would have been very challenging for the very people that he's writing to, living in Rome, under the Roman government, living illegally as Christ followers, as Christians, uh, living uh, with, with beliefs that cause them to refuse emperor worship, for instance. Uh, these verses would have been very challenging for them to hear. But Paul says, look, as responsible citizens <laughs> living in Rome, as God's people, Submit to the authorities, to the governing authorities. Now I've said it before in other contexts here um, uh, to, to you that uh, Richard Foster defines submission as uh, the, uh, the, the freedom uh, from the tyranny of having to get my own way, of always having to get my own way. I like that definition. The idea of submission uh, has different connotations for us depending on our own experiences and, and, uh, and uh, uh, some of them are not very pleasant. 
but the idea of submission as uh, being free to, to not always have to get my own way and that's what he's calling us to submission and then uh, obedience in, in verse 3 uh, telling us to, uh, to, to do uh, what is right always do what is right how do we know what is right? Well, we go back uh, to Romans 12 where he said, um, cause your, your, your minds to be transformed and made new, be, to be made new from above and then you will know what God's will is, his good and perfect and pleasing will. How do we know what is right? Well, it's entering into this with a transformed mind, with a renewed mind, that transformation that is continually taking place with us. He says, always do what is right. That's the context of obedience. And verse 6, payment of taxes. Make sure that you're people who don't avoid uh, the taxes that you have. And there's, there's a couple of uh, types of taxes that are referred to in this verse. Make sure you're people who are living responsibly in paying your dues as citizens of the city or the country that you're a part of. And then the last bit that he says there in verse 7 uh, probably was the hardest one, I think, for, for these folks to, 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 uh, to have under Roman rule. Uh, respecting the person of the, the, who holds the authority and honour for the office of that authority. But he calls us to that. Applying that to our situation today may be very difficult as well. We hear so much negative about our political leaders because our media knows that that will sell papers and get an audience. And all we hear is about how th- where things go wrong and, and what we might classify as silly things they do and so forth. And to develop a respect for the person who holds the authority and to talk in that way as much as we can and honour for the office of that authority. It's pretty tough. But he says, this is how you as God's people need to live in the society in which you are living. And so being God's people in this world has political ramifications. Uh, But notice that the decision to come under governmental authorities is motivated by conscience rather than just the fear of punishment. Did you pick that up as Garth read through this chapter? Verse 5, Therefore it's necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment but also because of conscience. It's, it's interesting it says but also. <laughs> so the fear of possible punishment is is pretty good start <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it, it doesn't cover everything. Uh, living a certain way because of the fear of possible punishment will only strengthen the facade of a society and make it look good. It doesn't do anything for anything underneath the facade and that's so in our own lives too. Uh, the problem of course is if you remove the possibility of punishment what's actually made no difference to really who you are and the way you live and so you just go ahead and, and, uh, and abuse the privileges. But he's saying, look, it's got to be motivated by conscience. Now, the CEV translates this, the um, contemporary English version translation, uh, translates the word that's here translated conscience as because you know it's the right thing to do. 
because you know it's the right thing to do. Um, when my uh, daughter was in primary school, I was walking her to school and uh, she, um, uh, she was eating something and, and she uh, scrumpled up the rubbish and held on to it until we passed a bin and she put it into the bin. And I said, oh, that's really good, Dee Dee, you know, that's, that's great. You know, don't want to rubbish Australia, well done. And she just looked at me and she said, Daddy, I always do the right thing. <laughs> With her, it was actually correct. <laughs> she, but then that's a father's view, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I always do the right thing. That's what we're called to do, you know. Know what is right and do it. Know what is right and do it. Whether you're afraid of being punished or not. Whether there's any possibility of you being caught for doing the wrong thing or not. Know what is right and do it. That's what he's saying here. That knowledge, as I said before, comes from that transformed mind that Paul talked about in chapter 12. Rules and the fear of punishment serve only to strengthen that facade. But transformation and the accompanying inner motivations of doing what is right comes from a renewed mind. And then in this chapter he says, look, really the the overall thing, what I'm really talking about, is a, is a call to love one another. And Paul's talked about this in chapter 12 and now he returns to it in chapter 13. He can't get away from it because he's, as he's thinking about who you are as, as one of God's people and living responsibly in, 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 uh, in community and uh, having these rules and regulations and living under government authority and really what it's all about really is the call to love one another. And this time, when he addresses it in chapter 13, verses 8 to 10, he says, look, actually, it's, it's the only debt that you'll never stop owing. <laughs> now, some of us probably have credit card debts that are falling into that, credit, into that category as well, but, but that's, not, that's not a good thing. He, he's actually saying, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Uh, you, 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 you'll never be able to say, okay, I've loved enough. Now, that, that's, where, that's where this this lady who forgave, that, that's an incredible example of that. She couldn't sit there, according to these verses in that Truth and Reconciliation Commission and say, I've loved enough. I mean, if she'd said that, I'd understand it. My goodness me. But she couldn't say it as a person who was called to the fulfilment of the law of love. I've never loved enough. I can never say that that's it. I'm through. Because Paul says this is a debt that you'll actually never repay. This love does no harm to others and so is the true fulfilment of the law, is what he's saying here. This is the responsibility of the individual in community. Do no harm to your neighbour. Fantastic themes. A high calling indeed. So how do we apply all that? Well, Jesus is coming back. I believe that. I don't know when, but he is coming back. And so the question is, well, how should we, in the meantime, live as God's people? And Paul's answer here is, as loving individuals in community, as responsible citizens rather than selfish consumers. Now, the doctrine of the end times must not become an excuse for irresponsible living, is what he is saying here. Uh, perhaps a, a more dangerous escapism for us 
is a doctrine of sanctification that leads us to become non-involved in the world leading us to less respect and honour and love than what we're actually called to. A doctrine of sanctification, sanctification meaning um, being separated unto Christ, to be more like Christ. A doctrine of sanctification, our, our desire to be holy, our desire to be like Christ, our desire to do the right thing and to be the right people. That sort of doctrine that removes us from the world will get in the way of the sorts of things that Paul is talking about in this chapter. Uh, Jim Peterson, who has uh, written much on evangelism and discipling, uh, talks about the, the, the mistake of regarding sanctification as geographical rather than attitudinal. In other words, that we think that to be like Christ, we need to geographically separate ourselves from the world. And he says, no, 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 that's not what it is at all. He says it's attitudinal. And based on Romans 12, it's a way of thinking differently about life and life's decisions and doing what is right, transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's attitudinal. And that then allows us to be immersed into the world, to be the light that God has called us to be. And so as God's people in society we are called to live as responsible citizens, submitting in obedience to the rules and regulations of that society, paying our taxes, respecting and honouring the government. This is the best way for there to be peace and harmony in our communities. But there's so many questions that arise with that sort of instruction. Does this mean there's never a call to civil disobedience? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's that at all. Uh, the Bible is quite filled with uh, people who are involved in civil disobedience from time to time. In the Old Testament, the New Testament, uh, church history, people living in South Africa during apartheid, people in South American countries. I mean, there, there, is, there is certainly a call to civil disobedience. But in its instructions for holy living, the New Testament gives directions for normative life, for everyday situations for most of the time. And this means that principles of passages like this one are much harder for some people to apply some of the time. Uh, for people who are living in regimes where uh, to, to, to uh, obey what is being said, like the people in Rome themselves to obey would be to deny their commitment to Christ and to God. And these principles would be, would be extremely difficult uh, to, to apply. But the New Testament is calling us to a normative life. It's saying, this is how you should, this is your frame of reference. And certainly to us, this is what we're called to. We mustn't let extreme possibilities distract us from the everyday relevancy of the teachings of a chapter like this. And then, most of all though, love is what it's all about. We are called to be the most loving people that the world has ever seen. That's what Paul is saying. And so as we live out our transforming lives in community, may we be committed to a love that sees us becoming more like Jesus himself. That's what Paul means in verse 14, as clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And may we be people who are not given over to any obsession to gratify the desires of a nature that is self-centred and anti-community. May we instead be those who are committed to being the people of God as loving individuals in the community, the communities uh, that we uh, touch every day of our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we, we, we do thank you for this uh, very practical teaching from your word. We thank you for the, the way it can be applied in our lives. Uh, please help us to, to know exactly what that might look like and how it touches us as mothers, as fathers, as children, uh, as uh, responsible citizens in the various communities that we go into tomorrow morning. Uh, Lord, what does this... Um, what does this mean for us as we pick up our newspapers and, and read various articles about people in authority? Uh, what does it mean for us in, in uh, relation to authority figures at work and in our communities? What does it mean within our families? Lord, it's, it's only you who can give us that uh, transformed mind, that renewal of mind that helps us to think through these things and to know uh, what is right. Please help us to be open to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.